Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to It's Rainmaking Time. This is Kim Greenhouse. It gives me great pleasure to welcome Gladys McCoy, the co-founder and director of the Ozark Research Institute that explores the power of the focused mind. She has been a dowser for at least 30 years. Dowsing is an ancient art and a science, and it's been around probably since human beings have been on the earth. I'm going to have her explain it to you. Without further ado, please welcome Gladys McCoy to It's Rainmaking Time. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for being with us. You're welcome. I appreciate your calling. My late condolences about the passing of your husband, Harold, who was a great contribution to humanity and to the dowsing world and the healing world. I'm sure he is very much missed. Yes, he is. By everybody. Talk a little bit about what dowsing is from your perspective, the perspective of the Ozark Research Institute. Um, dowsing is the ability to locate um, unseen, unknown uh, items, um, people, um, any number of things, but it's something that's not consciously known to the mind. But I believe that deep within us, we have all that knowledge and a way to tap into it. And I think the dowsing gives us the tool to do so. Now, in terms of the logistics of dowsing, when we spoke in our earlier conversation, you shared about how dowsing was used on wagons to look for water, right? Yeah, when people were going across the country and, and you know, homesteading, etc., they had no way of knowing where the water was, and they used the dowsing rods. There are pictures, um, you know, of people, you know, paintings of people that um, were on the wagon trains with the dowsing instrument, which was, at that time, the forked stick made out of a tree branch uh, to find the water that they needed while they were in the middle of the desert, so to speak. Where did they hear about that? Well, dowsing's been around for, my goodness, um, thousands and thousands of years. Um, there are um, uh, cave drawings of um, dowsers um, that go back in Europe area and in the Mideast that, that date back thousands of years ago. Um, so dowsing is not something new uh, to the modern world by any means. Um, and I think you know, the old story was that they passed it down from, from father to daughter, from daughter to son, or, you know, and such and such, you know, or it was the seventh son of the seventh son that had the ability to do so. But for some reason, any, we know now that anybody can learn to use the dowsing instruments to get this information that's there for all of us. And you even said that you could take a string and put a needle attached to the bottom of it and douse with that if you needed to. Absolutely. Uh, the dowsing instrument has no power at all. It's nothing. It's just an extension of you and of the knowledge that you tap into. And all it does is give you a response. It's a, it's a way of getting in tune. Actually, I use it to get in touch with my inner guidance, my inner knowing that I have within me, and my connectedness to, I call it, the divine source, where all my information comes from. Some people refer to that as the subconscious carrier has all what you're describing. Do you agree with that? I don't know about that. I mean, you know, I think my information comes from way beyond that, from the conscious, you know, from my conscious, certainly, or my subconscious. Interesting. Why is it that dowsing is really accepted when it comes to locating water? Because there's obviousness with regard to delivery. And I want you to share some stories about locating water. But when it comes to dowsing other things, people have a hard time sometimes accepting that it works. Well, I think everyone has the misconception that the old fork stick from a tree branch had a connection to the water that was in the ground. And that's why it works so well, because it would automatically be drawn to the water that's under the ground, the tree branch would. But we use plastic now, and it works just as well. So I don't know why people, you know, have that con con conception, but that's the way it's always been. 
we we have no way of proving, you know, that dowsing works. Absolute proof that it works. Because none of us are 100%. No dowser that I know is 100% if they've done more than two wells or three or four or five. They have to, you know, at one point they're going to make a mistake somewhere. And I think that's because perhaps we're not totally clear when we're doing the dowsing work. You had shared with me that one of the things that you do prior to dousing is you ask for permission to locate whatever it is that you're going to locate. Talk about that because I thought that was very unique. It's it's not truly unique. I teach dowsing all over the United States and when I teach it, and most teachers do teach this, that you must ask permission to douse. Talk about why. I believe that you ask permission to douse so that you are a clear channel for the information that comes through. You have to ask permission. The may I, do you have permission to do it? Is it okay for you to do it? And should I, I mean, can I, am I capable of doing it? The capable part is that some days I don't feel good, you know, and I'm not really up to par, so I can't get good information at that point. And should I, is it ethical? And the ethics are very, very important when you're doing any type of this kind of work. The dowsing work, the healing work, anything where you have other people involved, we should always stay on the ethical side of it. And if I go out even to do a well, I ask permission, may I? Even though that farmer has asked me to come out there and douse, but I think I'm getting permission from the source where all my information comes from, and can I? And should I? Is it ethical? Because I don't want to cite a well on this man's property and perhaps the person next door is going to lose their water because we've tapped into their stream. Got it. So there may be some mystery. When you get a no, you may not know the reason. You just get a no. That's right. And I don't question it. What do you do when you go back to the farmer that asked you to douse it and you said, I'm not allowed to do that? I just tell him I can't do it today. Now, that doesn't mean that I might not be able to do it tomorrow. Um, and many times, if I get a no uh, on may I, uh, they don't even own the property that they're asking me to douse. That's fascinating. And that would also get a no probably on the should I, because it wouldn't be ethical for me to do it. What about people that are investing in property or they're looking at a piece of property to invest in that has a well, even though it's not maybe known to the realtors or the people that currently own it, that there is one and they want to have you do some map dowsing? Okay, now I did do that for a lady here. Um, I had already checked that property before she bought the property to see if there was a, a good proper well site on the property. And she called me because she'd been told by everybody around that there's no water on this mountain that she was moving to. And I said, oh, yeah, there is, um, because we had doused many wells in that area. And um, I actually did douse and tell her that there was water on that property. And I went out the other day, and I sighted the well site for her. Now, I don't know that she has drilled it yet, but she is getting ready to. It wasn't where she wanted it. Her house is about 400 feet up the hill or from where, you know, she wanted it. But uh, it's down below, so she's going to have to, you know, get the water up there. But I can only put it where the water is. That's fascinating. Let's talk a little bit about the map dousing. How does it work? What do you do? Talk to us. Bring us into the fold. Well, a map... You know, all maps are blank. When you, when, before they were ever made, they were all blank. There was nothing on them. But once that map was made and all the roads were put on it, all the streets were put on it, it became that area. You can look at it and you can actually see that this is North Berkeley or wherever. Um, now, I, take a, I have people take a blank piece of paper I don't want anything on the paper. I don't want anything written on it. And I have them hand sketch their property with some identifying mark 
um, if they already have a house on it, if they have a shed on it, if they have a road on it, something that will identify that property. And then I have them put an address on that piece of paper. When that address is put on that piece of paper, it becomes that property. It is that property. I can douse that map that they have drawn me, and I can find a good location for a well site. The same way when we're looking for lost items. Um, We can do that with a map. Um, Douse the map. Find the lost item uh, or where they can go and look for it. And, um, you know, Dowsing a map is necessary because I don't want to walk over 100 acres when I go out to douse with my L-rods and my Y-rods. And if I have a little area that I have isolated that this is a good place, even though it's not to scale, I still may have to walk a good distance to find the exact spot that I have made a mark on that little diagram but I have an area to go to rather than starting at one end of the property and walking all over 100 acres. And you don't want to walk over any kind of acreage here for very long because of all the ticks and chiggers that are back here. It sounds to me, Gladys, like when you put the address to the sketch that you're asking somebody to do of the property, Mm -hmm. that the address becomes almost like a coordinate. Absolutely. (laughs) So there is a coordinate system, at least with the map dousing part, that sounds very interesting as well. But let's take the example of 100 acres. Mm -hmm. And I do Mm -hmm. my sketch, and I'm not very artistic, so I don't know what it would look like. But let's say I'm doing it on a little 8.5 by 11 piece of paper. I don't know how you know how much is 1 acre versus 100 acres on the sheet of paper. But you see, I don't because I have something on that property on that drawing that gives me a, a um, core place to start from. Okay. Like, you know, a little building, um, a house, you know, shape. And I would start there and walk towards where I had made the mark on the map. If it was just the road or the driveway coming in, I would start there and go towards that area on the diagram to find the spot that I had found. Interesting. I don't know how far I would have to walk, but most people can look at that diagram that they have drawn and they can tell you approximately where that spot is. Interesting. A well site is a place where you can drill down and there will be water, correct? Yes. Okay. So from a dousing perspective, when you identify a well site... How do you bring in the precision sufficient enough for someone to drill? Well, when I go out to look for a well site, and when I'm looking for one, even on that little piece of paper, I am asking for some specific things. I ask for a good potable source of water, a stream that will never go dry, runs all year long, and that will furnish a certain amount of water for a certain number of people. Um, Normally, the households around here, um, if we get seven gallons per minute, you know, that's a lot of water. Uh, In areas, in some areas in California, 100, 150 uh, gallons per minute is not too much water for them. Um, I mean, it's quite frequent, but it's not that way here. And um, so it's different in different parts of the country. But you want a good source of water. You want one that will never go dry, and you definitely want it to be um, not too deep. Um, you know, so you always you put all of that into your question when you're out there looking and when you're doing it on the paper. So that's the criteria in which the that's question gets... in my mind yeah. when I have my rods in my hand and I am walking and looking for. That's always in my mind. That's the question that I put out, and I get the answer. You shared that your husband, Harold, usually got what he asked for, which I thought was so interesting. Talk a little bit about that. Most dowsers do, actually. Um, You know, we put that 
all these little things out in, you know, what we need for this family that we're dowsing for. And for some unknown reason, this is what we get. And Harold, many, many times, would say, do you think the water was there before I asked for it or because I asked for it? And that's a wonderful question. That's a great question. And we can't prove it at all, you know. But I believe that it may have been there because we asked for it. I think it's there because we asked for it, and there is a need for it. Very interesting. Talk a little bit about what you shared with me in our initial conversation about your journey into dowsing, about how you were a hostess and would receive people that were learning dowsing, and your journey to become who you are today in the dowsing realm. It was, you know, certainly not total skepticism, but because I did know about dowsing when Harold started into the dowsing group. But I had been married to Harold for almost 20 years at that point and uh, been in the military with him. And, um, you know, I'd been the good hostess, you know, when we'd have groups in and et cetera, and I'd always done that for him. But when he got into dowsing, I thought, my goodness, what does he think he's doing? And he did douse our well on our property, which is still a viable well, so, you know, water source. And it, it serves water for three families. And um, I didn't know he could do it because we'd never talked about it. He never used it, uh, that ability, when we were in the military. What was his background in the military? He was a military intelligence officer when he retired and had been in military intelligence for over 10 years of his career. Isn't this a huge leap from military intelligence to all of a sudden being interested in dowsing? What interested him in dowsing? And then I want to go back to When him. he was a kid, dowsing was, was something that was necessary here um, in northwest Arkansas. Uh, they always had the dowser come out when he was a kid. And um, he used to follow him around and watch him. You know, it was entertainment. Uh, when the dowser would come and, and douse the well, they would hand dig wells at that point. They didn't use drills. And um, so, you know, the whole community would come and observe the, the, the dowser, and then the um, women would cook food, and the men would start digging the well uh, with a pick and shovel. And um, Harold would participate even as a child. He was part of that. And he said that after the dowser would leave, you know, and before the digging started, he, he would pick up that rod and he'd go around and he'd play with it. And he said the rod would always go down in that place. So he knew a lot about it, but it, it, he never had the need for it when he was in the military. But he believed that anything you hear, anything you observe that makes an impression on you and on your mind, you should file it away if you don't have a need for it at that time. Because someday you'll need to bring it forward and it'll come forward and you'll be able to use it. And certainly that's what happened for him. Now, I traveled along with him and I went out and I would watch him do the well sites once he started the dowsing chapter here and we started, you know, doing going to conferences and learning all these things. But I went with him. And I kept records for him, and he was right on with his wells, almost 100%. Not quite, but almost. And, but once you tell somebody that the well, is, you know, the, the water's here, and you need to go so many feet down, and you'll hit the water, you have no control over what happens after that. When the well driller comes in, and he sets up, and he starts down that drilling down, if... He doesn't go straight down. There is a possibility that he could miss the stream. So you can't control that. You never can you control the retrieval uh, equipment that they're going to use to pump the water out. But you can all. But you can tell them that you could get up to so many gallons per minute with the right equipment. You can retrieve this much water. Now, as far as um, the, the drilling down and knowing the water is there, 
you know, you do what you what you know and put it out there, and then you walk away from it knowing it's there. And that's what I do. Now, I have been, I haven't been wrong, totally wrong, on any of my wells so far, but some of them haven't been drilled. Um, I did do one. I told the man he would go down 250 feet, and he would hit a wonderful stream of water. And they went 700 foot. But the water came up to 250 foot. And I believe after many years I have figured out that what I said was, how far was he going to have to go down to get water? He got the water at 250 foot. He just had to drill farther to get it up to that point. So your question when you're doing the dowsing is most, most important. When I interviewed the late Bill Cox, who was a wonderful dowser who had been trained by Vern Cameron, one of the things that he had shared with me both in television and in radio was that you can find the location very much like what you're talking about. Give the instruction for how much the drillers should drill down and how they should drill down. However, you don't always get cooperation with the drillers. That's true. And that was a big issue for him. That they didn't buy it, they didn't want to be told what to do, they didn't understand it, and they weren't interested in the knowledge that allowed for this to come through. And so there was a lot of times resistance on the drilling side. Have you found that or not really? Oh, absolutely. Now, there there are a few up in this area who do, did have at one time an old-time dowser that traveled with them. And, um, but, you know... The old-time dowsers are, dows- are, are dying out, you know. We just don't have many of them anymore. And so that's why we do a lot of training. And, and any child that wants to come to any of my classes from 8 to 18 is welcome to come uh, to learn to douse because it's important. It's an important thing for everybody to know how to find good potable water. And uh, it's, you know, our streams are getting polluted. Everything is getting polluted. But this water comes from so deep in the earth that we tap into that it's not polluted. Where do you think it comes from? Why is it so deep in the earth? How do you think it gets there? I don't know. But, you know, it flows the same way an above-ground stream flows. So it's deeper in some areas than it is in other areas. And, you know, they'll say, well, you can't get water up there. It's on top of a mountain. Well, why can't you get water up there on top of that mountain? You know, you can. It could start up there. It could be coming from so deep that all the water down below in the valley starts at the top of that mountain and shoots straight up because it comes up under pressure. You talked a little bit about having the right equipment, how sometimes you've had to say to the driller that it would be better if you had this equipment because then you'll be able to get that many more gallons per minute, something like that. No, that's up to the client, the person that you're doing the dowsing for. Right. Um, you know, it depends on what they purchase to pump the water out with as to how much they're going to get out of the well. Now, if you have a hun, uh, hand-dug well and you drop that little bucket down in there, that's all you're going to get out of it is a bucket. Um, but most pumps, you know, now that go into a well are submerged and they pump it into a big holding tank. So they pump the holding tank up, and usually it's 50 or 60 gallons, and then it cuts off when that that holding tank gets full. So it depends. If they they drop a bucket down in a 250-foot well, all they're going to get is a bucket. So that's what I mean. Got it. Talk a little bit about the fact that dousing can be used for other things as well, and share a little bit about that with us. Okay. Well, you know, many years ago, when we first, Harold first joined the American Society of Dowsers and uh, started being a part of the dowsing group, um, we got the journals and, and did a lot of reading about it. And Harold had read about diverting underground streams of water, too. And um, he thought that was pretty, you know, you would move it actually from one place to another. If you dug a dry well, you could just move another stream if you could find one that was movable into that dry well site. And um, so, and that's 
with dowsing. You use dowsing to do it. Um, I use dowsing um, for people who need to make life decisions. I do dowsing over the phone for them. Um, I use dowsing for clearing negative energies out of homes, um, out of businesses, uh, to help improve the atmosphere in a home. Um, Many times there are energies flowing through the earth uh, and, of course, electromagnetic energies um, that create health issues for people. And if you are living in that area, in a home, you can, you can get sick from it uh, if you're susceptible to it. Environmental things, you can use dowsing to get rid of um, uh, radon gas, um, such as that in, in a house. Um, I use it to clear any, uh, anything that's inside the house, like formaldehyde in the carpet pad, um, you know, and all those kind of things. Um, I use dowsing uh, to clear people. Talk about that for those of us that wouldn't understand what you're talking about. Well, again, I use a diagram of the human body, and that's all it is. And I put the name of that person on that diagram and a date on it, and then I douse around it, and I ask for any adverse energy that's harming that person. And adverse energy to me is geopathic, which is the earth energies. Uh, It's uh, electromagnetic energy. It's, um, you know, spirit. Uh, um, You know, anything like that. Disease. That's an adverse energy to me. And I use the dowsing system to locate it, and then I use what I call the blue pen ink method, and I make marks on the map with my blue ink to remove it, to block it, to keep it from harming that person. And it's been very successful. I have, when I first started doing it, I realized that I even picked up on past traumas that were in the body, like a broken arm that had already been healed, uh, but the issue was still there with the broken, you know, because you had a broken bone. And I could find that with this dowsing system that I used. So in a way, you're inducing some kind of remote healing through dowsing in this capacity, correct? That's right, yeah. You know, if if somebody calls here and they have a specific need, you know, we believe any everything is just energy. All of it is energy. And if you put your finger on a diagram of the human body on the liver, you know, and they have something wrong with their liver. And the pendulum, if you ask it to remove any negative energy, any adverse energy that's harming so-and-so at this time, the pendulum will just swing in a counterclockwise circle. Now, as I said before, that pendulum has absolutely no power. It really doesn't. But that's what happens when you take negative energies out. It goes counterclockwise. What's pulling it out? And when you put the good energy, you always fill a void when you create one, you know, by taking something out. It goes clockwise, putting the good stuff back in there. And so you would put in a healthy liver and all that kind of stuff. But you'd use your pendulum as a visual tool to know that it had been completed. And again, I believe that it's done because we ask. Have you ever had anybody come back to you, let's say in this context, because I realize you have to be very careful when you're doing things like this to even talk about them in today's atmosphere. But have you had people come back to you and say, this is what was going on, and now that you've doused the situation, I'm no longer experiencing X? Absolutely. That's what we do here at ORI. Um, we don't necessarily use dowsing for it. Occasionally I use the dowsing for the people that call for help to clear out anything that's going on in their life that could be creating their health issue or their financial issues. We get a lot of financial difficulties right now, and they want blessings. And, but we do um, a research, we, it's a research organization here, and what we do is we do healing meditations um, for these issues. 
we have a group that meets here every Tuesday night, and people get individual work also. It's not just me. It's many, many people. We'll have 30, 35 people here who do this work, and we send out that healing energy out to people, and we get phone calls all the time. We ask them to call us in three weeks and let us know if there's been any changes. And we get lots of phone calls telling us how wonderful it is. I got one from a guy the other day. He called and he said, I just need some clarity in my life. And so we put him on the list that night. And I got an email the next day. And he said, I asked for some clarity. And boy, did I ever get it. He said, I have started a new book. And I have got all this stuff done. And he was just absolutely ecstatic. Now, see, that's not a health issue. But many times we've had health issues where a tumor on the thyroid ends up being nothing more than uh, reflex, um, you know, acid reflex when they go back and have more tests done. But they've already been told the tumor's there. We've, um, you know, we get a lot of misdiagnoses, but tumors that when they go in to take them out, are encapsulated in a ball of energy or whatever, and they just come out. They're not attached to anything. Um, because in our mind and as a group, we can visualize what we want to have happen for those people, and we can ask in a prayerful mode, and it seems to be a connection with the divine source, whatever People call that divine source, mine is God, but we seem to make that connection for the person, and it's granted. It's like miracles happen, and they happen every day, and they may only be tiny miracles. A miracle is still a miracle. That's right. doesn't matter how big it is. You know, people who have surgery will call us and ask us to help them get through this, you know easily and comfortably and all that kind of stuff. We don't tell them, don't go to a doctor. By all means, use those those doctors. I do when I need one. I certainly go. And if I had to have an operation, I would certainly do it. But I would ask the group here to put the energy in that everything works perfectly and is easier than they ever dreamed it could possibly be when they did the surgery. I had an uh, aortal aneurysm fixed. And they told me that they didn't think they were going to be able to go through the vein. And I asked the group the night before, I said, all right, guys, this is all I want you to do. I don't want you to try to heal this. I want you to make it so that the apparatus that goes through the vein goes through very easily, and they're able to do that without, you know, having to cut me. And I went to the doctor after it was done, which was through the vein. And I said to him, so was it hard to get that apparatus through my artery? Because he said I had very small arteries. And he said, no. He said, surprisingly, it just slipped right in there. And he had the silly grin on his face the whole time I was in there. I think he was surprised. And I'll bet that he saw energy, that white light energy that we use from the divine source when he was doing it but he wouldn't admit it, but there was something that was very simple for him because even as they were wheeling me into the operating room, they were saying, I kept saying, you're going to go through the vein. And they kept saying, well, you know, that's not what's planned. And I said, you're going through the vein. And they did. So, you know, that's what we do here. We make it easy for people to go through these traumas. And I had no pain. I came out of it 100%. How interesting. I have a dear friend who has had a growth, a tumor behind her nose and ran out of insurance and had to go to the county of Los Angeles. And they diagnosed her with cancer. But when they took all her vitals and all these tests, they had her all set up for chemo and radiation and super chemo and super radiation. And this is someone who was always into alternative health. Mm -hmm. And she went in for six weeks and is right now in so much pain from the treatment. 
I mean, her salivary glands have been degenerated. She can't barely swallow. She can't eat. She has a feeding tube. She has gone through a digression like I've never seen in this person. All we need is a name and age and what you perceive the issue to be. That's it. Her name is Arax, A-R-A-X. She's, I think, 53 years old. And this is a tumor behind her nose that they tried to go in and get, but they said it was too hard to get. And who is feeling and experiencing great debilitation and her functionality is decreased to the point of, I don't even know what to say. Are they doing radiation or what? They already did six weeks of radiation twice a week and five days a week of super chemo, which almost threw her to the other side. Yeah. And a lot of times with chemo, You know, chemo doesn't know the difference between good and bad. Right. It just takes care of everything. But we can get people through the chemo treatments. I mean, we have. I mean, we've got it all documented um, that they go through it with ease and comfort, and only that which is beneficial to them will get through. And they get through it without any of this illness, with any, you know, they get through it simply and quickly. Radiation is really brutal. Yeah. So we'll put Alex, you know, Eric's. I gotcha. It's got an X on it. I just can't say it. (laughs) (laughs) The universe knows who she is. Yes. You know, we get people who call here and all they give us is one name. You know, they might just say her name is Mary and she's so old and she's got, you know, this is what we perceive the issue to be. And or the results. You know, a lot of times we want to know what the results is that you want from it. Perfect healing, quality of life returned. Absolutely. And and see, that's a good one. Um, that's good positive stuff. Speed. And that's what we'll put down there. And speedy, full recovery into wellness. Yes. And a lot of times that's all people get. Now, my, you know, my stepmama had bone cancer. And she was a very ill lady for a very long time. And... But before she passed, for many, many months before she passed, she didn't need any medications for pain because she didn't have any. Now, there was not a healing there, but she didn't have pain. And she had a wonderful last few months of her life. So, you know, everybody receives something. It may not be exactly what we want to have happen or what they really want to have happen. But everybody gets some kind of help from this. How interesting. You said that you don't use dowsing for prescribing or for diagnosis. Absolutely not. Which I think is proper. No, we don't do that. You know, even when I'm doing the diagrams of the body, right? when I'm doing the clearing on that, I would never tell somebody, oh, you've got a heart problem. You know, I just fix it. You just fix it right then, whatever that issue is, because it could be that it's just the front part of the body that I'm looking at anyway. So it could be in their back. They could have a back issue. But I would never tell them that, that they have an issue because that that is diagnosing, and you don't do that unless you're a medical practitioner. But in the, the throes of ORI, we can do the healing meditations, And we do, like I said, we keep records. Every person that ever calls in here for help goes in our database, and we keep track of that person. And we've had wonderful, wonderful things happen for people. How much do you think your effectiveness, both yours and Harold's, has to do with the intent that you come into your dousing and the other work that you're doing with? It's all intent. Every bit of it's intent. You know, I intend that this person receive the healing energy that they need when I'm doing that work. I intend that, you know, I find a good potable well source for this person. Now, I did some some turkey houses one time, and the guy needed 35 gallons a minute. I couldn't find him a well site for 35 gallons a minute, but I found him something very close. And with the other well site he had, he had more than enough. But, you know, most of the time when you go out to do anything, any intention that you put forth will manifest. Our words and our thoughts are so powerful that we can create and we can uncreate with it. You know, our words and our thoughts are what create these things in our lives a lot of times. 
good and bad. We do it. We don't mean to, but it happens. And, and, and other people's words and thoughts can affect us. There's this thing that was recommended, which is you imagine a Pac-Man eating away a problem in the body. That's right. Talk about that. They use that at a um, children's cancer treatment center. I believe it was in California. Um, I can't tell you where it was. I can't remember. But they trained those children to visualize that and to see it. And they did it for, I think, like 15 minutes a day, twice a day, something like that. And uh, many of those children's tumors just got smaller and smaller and smaller. Wish I could remember. Symington? Um, Something like that. I had heard about that through a friend and a colleague, and I thought that was a remarkable thing. And Mm -hmm. the thing is, most of us do not grow up learning how to visualize that it's a practice, too. True. But if you can think it in your mind, I mean, if you went to your refrigerator right now and reached in there, but say you've got milk in your refrigerator. I don't have milk in mine, but if, if you had milk in your refrigerator, you would always put it in the same place. You would reach in there and get it without even, even thinking about it. I mean, it's there, and you would just go and get it. It's the same thing. Everything is in its proper place, and you can just go to that and just do it. You know, you, in your mind, you can see where your milk is. In the refrigerator. Right, when you're a person who has milk. But let's say you want to visualize something that is not, quote, in manifest existence yet, okay? Let's say there are people that want to visualize their new home. Well, if they want to visualize their new home, then actually they have to somehow bring it to their consciousness and have an awareness of what it is if they want something specific in a new home. Right. So if you want to manifest a new home in your you know, a new home for yourself, then you would sit down every day and you would just say, I am living in my new home that is located at such and such. It is a California ranch style, whatever you wanted it to be. And you would repeat that. But it would be in the positive. It would be in the now. It would not be a futuristic thing. Correct. You would repeat it as if you already had it, and you would give thanks for it before you receive it. Exactly. Now, you know how you use criteria to ask the questions with dowsing? Yeah. In rainmaking, we also do criteria before we ask for something. Things just aren't plucked out of the vacuum. Usually, you have criteria about things that you want. Mm-hmm. So... Let us suppose that you don't know where your home's going to be. You are looking for an optimized location that has the following attributes. And you say that. This, that, maybe a well that can run X number of gallons of water a minute. This certain type of landscape. Looking out maybe at a mountain with a lake there. Who knows what it is? Whatever it is. X number of feet, X number of acres. Yeah. And then let us suppose they give those attributes, that criteria to you, even though they could probably do it themselves in dowsing. But let's say they give it to an experienced dowser and teacher like you. They gave it to me and they don't know where they want to be. Exactly. Then I would take a map of the United States or, you know, if, if that's in reason that that's where they want to be, it's in the United States. And I would go state by state and ask, is it for so-and-so's highest and best good? And I would have my pendulum swinging in my hand. Is it for so-and-so's highest and best good to reside in this state? Then if I got a yes on Montana, I would take a map of Montana and I would go across Montana with my dowsing instrument until I found the exact spot that they needed to go and look at. But it's always for that person's highest and best good. I totally get what you said. And so that's very, very clear. But let us suppose there are several places, let's say in the U.S., let's just take the U.S. since we're both here at the moment. 
Let's say there's five places in the U.S. Are you still going to go through 50 states? No, because the question that I have asked is, for so-and-so's highest and best good, which state would be beneficial for them or the place that they need to go to live? And I would only get one answer. Really? That's right. I wouldn't get a lot of different answers. If I ask for the specific state for them to move to where they would be the happiest, where they would have the best job, where they would have the most wonderful situation for a home, that's the only one that would give me a yes. Fascinating. Okay. So you could ask 18 times, go through 18 states and get a no, and then on the 19th you could get a yes, correct? I could, yeah. And, and the trick with this is, that you never, once you get your yes response for somebody, yeah. you don't go back and say, well, you know, let's do this over again. You don't do it a second and third time. Because for some reason, if you don't take your first response, if you keep asking the same question over and over and over again, wherever this information comes from, figures out that you didn't like the, the answer they gave you, and so they'll change it. So you're left with still not knowing whether it's yes or no. So I always say, this is it. And if I say, this is where the well is, and they ask me about another spot, I'll say, I'll check over there, but this is the best spot for you to put a well. So it's almost like first impressions, really. It is. Absolutely. Which are usually and, correct. And that's what the dowsing does for you. It puts you, you know, the dowsing instruments do for you. It puts you in the place of seeing to believe it. Because if the rods move, you believe it, you know, more than if you just get that little inkling, unless you've done it long enough to trust that gut feeling that you get. Practice, practice, practice with dowsing. What's the distinction to you between the dowsing rods and the pendulums Um, in your experience? Okay. The pendulum is a handy instrument to have because, you know, you can use it just about anywhere. You can carry it in your pocket, and uh, you can can actually use the pendulum for everything. You can use each one of these dowsing instruments, the L rods and the Y rods. You know, you can use each of them. The same way. You can get the same information with them. Yes and no responses, etc. The Y-Rod I use out in the field when I go out somewhere else besides sitting at my desk. Um, I use it. The L-Rods, I use them when I'm trying to specifically locate an exact spot when I'm out in the field on the ground. And it will lead me to a spot, like I'll say, point, you know, take me to a certain space, you know, a certain house or a certain whatever, and it will actually turn and go, you know, keep continuing as I follow the way it's going. Take me to the place that I want to go to. It's like a um, GPS, (laughs) only it doesn't talk. Um, It'll work the same way. And the pendulums? The pendulum is used mostly for map work and, um, you know, yes and no responses um, where you, but it's not normally used in the field except for counting um, depth or counting um, uh, gallons per minute. Um, it's an inf- it, it is definitely an inf- informational tool, the pendulum is. That's how you get information. Now, we know that dowsing has been incorporated by some top remote viewers in the world who have definitely confirmed that it works. Absolutely. And my question to you is, how do you explain to people that have never experienced dowsing, let's say with a pendulum, that it's not you and your hand who's moving the object. How do you explain that? Well, one of the things that I do when I teach dowsing and I teach other people to do the same thing, I have what I call a ready mode. 
And I don't just let my pendulum just hang down and wait for it to start moving. I have it physically. I am moving my pendulum, and I call it from the 10 to 4 uh, direction, and I'm actually swinging it. And when I ask a question it, and ask for you know a yes or no, it'll swing immediately into my yes, and it makes a very large circle normally into my yes or into my no. Um, the something that's moving will react much quicker. Now, does my hand shake? Does my hand move when it is even in the yes? You're going to response. When my response comes, yes, it does. Now, I have seen people, you know, hold their arms and everything else. But there is an involuntary muscle that creates this in the body. You don't intend for that to happen, but it will respond with a pendulum. So, yeah, you'll see your hand moving or the arm moving when the pendulum is moving. Even if it's very slight or barely noticeable. Very, very slight, yeah. Does that translate from your perspective into the fact that the body knows? The body knows, absolutely. That information is in you, and it has to come out somehow. So it comes right from wherever that information is down the arm into the fingers and creates this movement in the pendulum. Is it through the sympathetic nervous system, or do we know? I think that might be a possibility, but we don't know. But that is a good that is a good question. What has been the most perplexing task or challenge that you've had in the thirty years you've been doing dowsing, as well as Harold's, your husband? What is what have been some of the challenges for you, if any, with dowsing? Right. Well, of course, at first it was the disbelief of some of the things that you could do with dowsing, just like it is with most people today. Um, I was, you know, I just went along for the ride, basically, to start with, until I heard the, a past president of the American Society of Dowsers talk about the blue ink method that I use today uh, and teach everywhere I go. Um, he worked for the highway department in Ohio, and they had areas on the road where they had accident after accident in the same place. And um, he and this buddy that worked for the highway department went out one day and decided that they were going to check these places out, and they marked them all on the map, and they were going to go back with the intention. Now, they had the intention they were going to do this, then, and they were going to go back and fix these areas. But when they, and he marked on it with blue ink on the map. And when they went back, they put the maps away and they didn't go back out and do anything, but the accident stopped happening. And a few years down the road, they, they moved the highway department. And when the highway department was moved, the maps were destroyed. And these accidents started happening in the same areas that they had marked on the maps. Now, that really got my attention. And I was so excited about dowsing at that point that I wanted to learn everything I possibly could. Now, I could use the rods at that point, and I could use the pendulum at that point, but I had to have something that really kicked me and wanted me to learn more. And that was the key. And that's why I say to people, go to, all, go to every dowsing event that you can possibly go to, one of these days, there's going to be something that clicks with you, and it will change your life. It changed mine. Talk about the blue ink method. I don't think I understood your translation. Could you explain it again? Well, this fellow was telling about the blue ink method of what he had done with this, this map of the highway up in the Ohio in the area that he was in. Now, we all know of places where they have accidents on a pretty regular basis in the same place. And it's an energy that is there, be it the geopathic or the electromagnetic. It's some type of energy that creates these accidents. It's not the pitch of the road, etc. When you drive down the highway, many times your car will pull over, you know, kind of veer off to one side, and it has nothing to do with the road. It's just an energy that's going through there. 
can't explain it, um, that pulls your car. It's a magnetic kind of thing. And Jim and his buddy had marked these places on this map so they could go back out and fix these areas. Intention, okay? But the marks were made with a blue pen. And they went back and never did go out there and fix them. But, you know, you mentioned intent while ago, and that was their intention, that they were going to fix these areas. The blue ink probably has nothing to do with it. But I used the blue ink because that's what he talked about. And at one time, one of the master dowsers and I did an experiment of clearing these energies, these negative energies, these adverse energies, with pink and with yellow and purple, and they all worked. But it was our intention to do it. But I do use the blue because that's what he talked about. But it works. It works for people. It works for places. Uh, you can help businesses flourish. You can, you know, help uh, homes become more peaceful. Um, and I use it. I use it all the time for people. How does dousing work? Let's take a real live application. I'm just going to give you an okay. example of something. I want you to explain how dousing might be used to facilitate the resolve of a situation. Okay. I took some artwork to a friend's home. That friend happened to have been traveling a lot back and forth from California to Florida. And we were going to do this art sale. And I left this piece. It was like a $5,000 piece of art. And she left and came back a month later. And I went to pick up the art and it wasn't there. It was missing, gone. She said I had taken it. I had taken it back and I never took it back. Okay. I know I had never taken it back. And it's been this mystery. And because she's a friend, I would never like accuse her of anything. And I don't think that she took it or anything like that. But I mean, I checked my storage. I checked my home. There's just no way that I removed it. I remember because it was with another painting. It has been such a mystery for a year. <laughs> and I would like to know, how would dowsing be used to sort this out? Well, okay. Number one, I would ask, uh, how big is this painting? Two and a half feet across by three feet vertically. Okay, so it's not something we could just no, drop it, behind. Uh... No, and it's called Firestone. Okay. It was exquisite incredible painting. Number one, what you would have to do is ask if it is truly lost to Kim, okay? Is this painting truly lost to Kim? That's an interesting question. And I've got no, that it's not truly lost to you, okay? It is misplaced. I do that at any time anyone calls me and says they've lost anything. Because if I got a yes that it was lost to you, that would mean you would never get it back. And there's no point in me doing any more dowsing. How interesting. So, now, it's just misplaced, all right? So then we would have to know the places that this painting could possibly be. So we could weed out the ones that you don't need to worry about looking in those areas. Now, you know that it was left at this one place. Right. Okay. So we would start there and ask if it was still there. She's actually moved out of her house now. So, I mean. Okay. And it's not there. <laughs> so you, then you would, you would have to say, okay, uh, was it packed? Uh, unintentionally, and stored somewhere else by so-and-so um, or something like that. You would have to start asking questions right? using okay. your pendulum right. to get yes and no responses. Okay. But you would have to have some knowledge of it, yes. of, of places where it could possibly uh, have gone to. I have a question. Do people ask, was this item stolen? Oh, absolutely, they ask. Yeah, I find out was Kim's painting stolen. No, it was not. It's just misplaced. It is somewhere that you don't have any knowledge of, and neither does your friend. And I'm, I just kind of feel like maybe something when when the moving process started 
it was put somewhere and um, forgotten about. You mean for her? In the process of packing, yes. And it has not been unpacked, if that's a possibility. Yeah, I don't even know. This was lost a year ago. She said she looked all over her house. She couldn't find it. I wouldn't pick up one painting and not the other. If I'm taking them, I'm taking them both back. Right. Right. You know, it's just the strangest thing. <laughs> it is. Sometimes you can, um, Kim, you know, it kind of sounds silly, but, um, you know, I misplace things often, but a painting that big is kind of hard to Exactly. Misplace. And if you saw the painting, it's like impossible to not see. But sometimes you can say, all right, look, I want my painting back. And I don't know who you're saying it to, whatever. Right. Just put it out there. Right. Say, bring it home to me now. And you'd be surprised how many times you'll get a phone call and say, hey, you know, I took that just to hang, you know, for a few days, and I forgot about it. And it's here at my house. You want to come and get it? You know, um, somebody will call you and tell you they have your painting. That's wild. That's just really wild. Put that energy out there. That okay, somebody well, that'd be very interesting. I mean, the whole next thing to do would be a remote viewing on it, which would be quite <laughs> absolutely. There you go. And I, I'm I'm not trained to do that. Yes, no, I understand. I do know people who are. <laughs> so, what are some other interesting applications that people have called upon you and your husband to do with regard to dowsing? Lost items, uh, lost pets, people. People are not fun sometimes, especially if there's some bad stuff going on. Um, We have doused for uh, people that have been kidnapped and um, we've doused, you know, and, and found spots where they had been actually um, because there was evidence that they were there. I've doused a, um, for a young girl that was kidnapped in Honduras, uh, a relative of a person in California. And, um, I doused the maps, told him where she was, and um, they kept moving her from place to place the whole time. But we traced her with every step they made. And the whole time that we were looking for her, I put out the energy that she was going to be safe, that they weren't going to harm her. Because evidently it's quite common for this to happen, and they ask for ransom. And um, it's a way of making a living. And um, they released the girl, totally released her. She just walked back into town one day, and um, she'd been gone for almost 10 days. But she'd been moved a number of times. And when when he talked to her, he found out that she was actually in the areas that I had doused on those maps of Honduras. Sitting in Arkansas, I was dousing him. How interesting. So, you know, you, that was really unusual for me to have, you know, had that happen when he said, no, no, that's too far away. There's no way they would have taken her that far. But that's where she was. Um, Harold has done many dowsing jobs where he has looked for lost people. Uh, he has um, looked for uh, dogs in... Um, North Carolina, at Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, he worked with the police department down there and did some dowsing looking for a dog that had bit one of the uh, um, uh, Humane Society people, and it was running loose, and they needed to capture it to find out if it was um, had rabies. rabbit or not. And, I mean, it was on, I mean, right then he was doing the dowsing as they were looking for this dog, and... He would tell them where to go. They'd go down there, and they'd say, well, he's not here now. And, but then they'd, say, they'd see him, you know, taken off. And uh, it, was, it was, he called it real-time dowsing. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like real-time dowsing. Mm-hmm. You also said that you do not douse the past or the future. You douse into the now. Why? I douse now, today. I don't douse yesterday, except for yesterday would be like your painting, Okay. Right. Um, The knowledge is there, okay, for yesterday. But I can't douse to amend something that happened in the past. Got it. I don't use dowsing for that. That's what I meant by that. 
Um, I can get information from the past, but I cannot mend anything with my dowsing from the past. The future, you can't douse something that is not known in the universe somewhere. So I don't douse for futuristic things. You have to have at least made an effort to do something like go and um, get a job before I can tell you your possibilities of getting that job. You had to have at least put in your resume and started the process of an interview before I can give you that possibility that they were, were interested and that they will call you or whatever. Got it. Is there anything else you'd like to share? Well, um, we here at ORI um, are still continuing the work that Harold started and um, teaching as many people as we can the power of thought, the power of your mind, and all the many aspects of it and how we can make this world a better place by being one with all that is, and we believe that we all are. We are all connected. That's why we can do the work that we do and do the dowsing and do the healing work that we do here. And if anyone has any needs, be they physical, mental, emotional, or spiritual, we would love for them to call us and uh, ask for some help. That's what we're here for. Ladies and gentlemen, we have been talking with, learning from, and listening to Gladys McCoy. She is the co-founder and director of the Ozark Research Institute, exploring the power of the focused mind. You can reach her by going to ozarkresearch.org. And we thank you so much for making yourself available to us today. You're welcome.